You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, today on the docket, we have Jordan Addison, Michael Mayer, Brian Branch, Deontay Banks, Darnell Wright, Zay Flowers, Dalton Kincaid, Brian Brzee, Osiris Torrance, and Mr. Darnell Washington. So this should be a fun one. There's a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of big names for the Packers, which continues. Um, to feed my current desire, especially as I watch these prospects, to say, I want to trade back. <laughs> but without further ado, by the way, I don't think the Packers do necessarily, because if they did, they wouldn't be trying so hard for 13, if in fact that is the case, but it seems as though that's the case. So anyways, just a thought. Jordan Addison, let's start with him. Five foot, 1173 pounds out of Frederick, Maryland, uh, 21.2 years old. Six brothers and three sisters started playing at age five. Uh, former track athlete, played football for Pitt and USC. Four-star recruit, ranked number 10 athlete in 2020. Recruiting class, number 12 recruit in Maryland. Ran a 4.49.40, 34-inch vert, 10-foot, uh, 2-inch broad jump. Strengths, excellent route running, acceleration, ball skills, scoring production, punt return experience, AO, weaknesses, undersized, below average strength, mainly played as a slot receiver, and injury concerns. Summary says overall Addison's lack of ideal size and play strength are limit, uh, legitimate concerns, but he is a loose athlete with crafty routes and vertical speed to work all three levels. Projecting best in the slot, he has NFL starting talent from day one, First, second round projection, he has him at number 25 overall. When I say he, I'm referring to um, this Dane Brugler draft guide known as The Beast. Uh, and then looking over at PFF, uh, he's basically played one full year. The two shorter years, one the first year at Pittsburgh and then uh, last year at USC. But his grades overall 70 and then 89 and then 82-ish, so... Uh, really exploded the last two years with as far as his receiving grade goes. As far as my thoughts, um, I, I I haven't been super high on Addison, but that was back when Addison was in contention with everybody else, and we were talking about these guys being potential top 10-ish prospects and who's the number one and who's sort of this elite, this, that, or the other. You know, everybody's kind of sitting around 10, 11, 12. Now that Addison's being looked at in the 20s, look, I mean, the size is an issue. There's no doubt about it. And we could say, well, the Packers would never. Well, the, the reality is most teams don't want a receiver that size, but somebody's going to draft him. And we know the Packers are one of the teams, like every team, that has some kind of exceptions that are always built in, right? Jair was an exception all, all down the line. Been over the list plenty of times. They would never, they would never, they would never. Never draft a linebacker in the first round. Never draft a 25-year-old, blah, blah, blah. You know, Amari Rodgers. Certainly not within their thresholds, which maybe they should stick to it in that case. But anyways, I do like him. You know, it's hard to judge because he played primarily on the boundary, and we're talking about him being a slot guy primarily. So you're probably going to be seeing some different kind of usage. And it'd be nice to be able to see a little bit more of that um, at USC. But um, 
I think he's super twitched up, you know, which I always like that. I don't know that he's necessarily the best route runner, but he's real twitchy in and out of his breaks and off the line and all that. Maybe some of it is a little bit more flash than actual, actually, you know, doing something. But I mean, the speed is evident, very fluid. I mean, it's similar to in Jigba, he's able to, you know, maintain his speed even when he changes direction. You know, if he's running a post route, it's, he's not going to stick his foot in the ground and, and lose a little bit of speed. I mean, it just it just looks like one fluid motion, you know, as though he was running in a straight line. Incredible after the catch. Scored a touchdown against Stanford that should not have been a touchdown at all. Just a little wide receiver screen. So I like him. Would I want him at 15? Probably not, especially, again, if we're talking about an undersized receiver, you know he's not going to be very good at blocking, which I, I actually do think Njigba does a pretty good job of that. I don't know if I mentioned it, but um, Addison is willing, but I don't think he's going to be very productive at it. So you're not getting that aspect of it. And, and again, if you're talking about a pure slot guy and you're talking about his size at 15, no. If we trade way back or if he, if, if he slides into the second round, then yes. If we trade back into the you know mid to late 20s, then yes. 20-ish? I don't know, man. Maybe. It's weird to say I, I really like the guy, but I don't want him at 15, but that's kind of where I'm at. Next up, we got Michael Mayer, six foot four, 249 pounds from Independence, Kentucky, 21.8 years old. He was a basketball guy, so for those that are uh, looking for those types, he is that. He was Kentucky's 2019 Mr. Football and U.S. Army All-American. Uh, rewrote Notre Dame tight end record books. Caught a pass in all 36 games. Played in three seasons. That's pretty wild. Strengths would be play strength, body control, and competitiveness. Weaknesses, average speed, and consistent blocking technique. Projects as a traditional Y tight end with immediate NFL starting talent. First round grade uh, listed at number 19 overall. The summary here says overall Mayer needs to become more consistent with his blocking technique and execution, but his controlled athleticism, play strength through contact, and stellar intangibles raise his floor as a prospect. He projects as a traditional Y tight end for the third time uh, with immediate NFL starting talent. And as I've already told you, uh, Michael Mayer is loved by um, PFF. He had a 71 grade in 2020, an 80 grade in 2021, and a 92.5 grade in 2022. As I've mentioned before, if you go back and try to find guys with grades this high or higher, you really only find studs. There are no bad tight ends in the NFL that have had this high of a grade as a tight end. Period, I think? I might have added some kind of a qualifier in there in terms of uh, what school they went to, because there was probably some like FCS tight end. I don't really remember. But the other thing to keep in mind is the consistency aspect. He did have a 92.5 grade. Um, if you look at his games, obviously not every game was a 92.5. But the other bit of good news here is, although there were a relatively high amount, I guess, of not super great games, which would be about... a quarter maybe uh the good news is they're all 60s his lowest grade was a 61.2 he had four of those he had three in the 70s and then he had three in the 80s and two in the 90s so that's actually fairly high and obviously playing for notre dame there's some pretty high level of talent there for competition i mean as far as my own thoughts on michael mayer i do like him i understand the limitations of you know what he did at the combine um, I also see what they mean as far as blocking. It's not quite as good as you would hope for a guy of his size, but the, the positive news there is that what we're talking about is technique, which is something that can be taught. From that point, there was a lot to like about him. 
Um, but I was concerned about his ability. You know, I mean, obviously when you're talking about running to an open spot in the zone, 40 time isn't really that big of a deal. But how much is his 40 time going to hinder his ability to get open? Which I think is overstated to begin with, because you've got these quote-unquote fast tight ends that are not as fast as fast linebackers. And half the time they're being covered by safeties who are significantly faster than them anyways. So if we're just trying to find guys that run like a 4-3-9-40 so that we can say that they can separate from safeties, I think we're kind of just being silly in our assessment of how this all works. But I still wanted to see it happen. Well, in watching his game uh, against Boston College, the, the first hint I got at his ability was when he actually took a pitch behind the line of scrimmage and beat guys to the edge and then used his power to bulldoze ahead. And then if you go on my Twitter, you'll find a uh, post that I made about Michael Mayer. And that was sort of the definitive, because again, I want to see him actually beat somebody. And, and you can beat somebody in man coverage multiple ways. He could be draped all over you, but you know, if you can kind of use that basketball ability, box a guy out, he throws it out in front of you and you use those big long arms. I mean, whatever it is, it is. As long as you're able to be productive. Well, he went up against a safety in that clip that I showed and literally ran circles around him, was open the entire time, good throw, great catch, he's got extremely soft hands, and is able to turn the corner and get upfield. And again, a lot of the time in his usage, it's not even going to be a matter of, of beating man coverage. He's going to run to an open part of the field or, or stay in and block or, you know, there's going to be a lot of this, you know, false block, slip out and, and run a quick route. I mean, it, you know, it, it's a scheme-heavy offense and it's a scheme-heavy position within that scheme-heavy offense. So I'm not necessarily worried about his ability to line up out wide and beat a corner. But um, yeah, I, 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 there are certain times, and again, I'm always looking for those certain moments that you see things. Again, even more so even than the route running and the speed or whatever that you saw in that play, it was the hands catch and just how smooth and natural that looks and his ability to turn up the field. I mean, there was another play where he dove for a touchdown and it's like, how does a person that size do something like that where he looks like he's a hundred or a 210 pound wide receiver or something? And of course, as I've mentioned several times, the play in which he, you know, catches a pass out of bounds and toe taps along the sideline. I mean, that's stuff that you just don't expect to see from a guy his size. That sort of, um, I don't really want to say agility necessarily, but the, the lightness, the softness of it all, his ability to control his body, you know, body control, I guess. But at his size, it, it really is, is pretty impressive to me. So I like Michael Mayer. Somebody asked, well, do you like him at 15? I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, it's taking a tight end at that position in general is, is a pretty high risk. Now, of course, if this is an elite tight end, he's worth it. But it's a high risk to ask the question, is this one of those tight ends? Because, you know, you look at a lot of other positions. How many tackles are there in the NFL that would be worth 15? Quite a few. You look at left tackles, right tackles, and then you figure the overall value that they bring. You don't have to be top three tackle to be worth it. You need to be good enough to just protect your quarterback and not let there be a freaking disaster. But you look at tight ends, there's like four or five over multiple, multiple, multiple draft classes. So is this that dude? It feels like such a high-risk proposition. But if you're asking me if I like him, the answer is yes. Next up is my best friend, Brian Branch. Brian Branch, 5'11", 190, from Fayetteville, Georgia. It's crazy how many Fayettevilles there are. There's a lot of them. I think there's Fayetteville, Arkansas, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Anyways, 21.5 years old. A lot of young guys, which is a good thing. Youngest of five children, always a lot of kids. 
Uh, he played wide receiver, cornerback, safety, and special teams in high school at Sandy Creek High School. Strengths, quick-footed, instinctive, sticky in coverage, reactive athleticism, well-rounded. Weaknesses, undersize, average at best testing numbers, durability concerns. Comparisons, Javon Holland. Well, that should make him popular with me, I guess, but it doesn't. It says, overall, Branch might not have elite size speed measurables, but he is above average in almost every other category NFL teams covet with his well-rounded game to run, cover, and tackle. He projects as a starting nickel in the NFL and offers hybrid versatility across the secondary, similar in ways to Miami's Javon Holland. Grade, first round, number 17 overall. PFF absolutely adores Brian Branch. Uh, his three years at Alabama, 72-76, and then this year, 90 um, as everybody probably knows at this point, phenomenal tackler. He's had 90, 92, and 92 tackling grades. Run defense went from 67 to 88 to 90. Coverage, 71, 68, and then 86. So that was the one thing that kind of took a big upturn this year was coverage ability. As far as the consistency aspect to it, um, relatively consistent as far as overall goes. You got High 50s, 60s, 70s, and then three games in the 80s, none in the 90s. So that's pretty standard. I mean, the 250s are not great, but it's not catastrophic. Same goes with run defense. The, the, the only one that I would maybe push back on slightly would be the coverage at being an 86 grade. He's only got one game in the 80s, and that was against Austin P, everybody's favorite team to beat up on, which is basically useless. Um, otherwise, about half of his games are in the 70s or better about half or 60 or below. Um, none of them were terrible, though, aside from his game against Tennessee where he had a 50.0. The other issue that I kind of have when I'm going back trying to figure out what game to watch, I, I try to watch some of the players' better games, or, or I kind of vacillate between should I find something that's more average or should I find sort of their best game. just depends on whether I want to find sort of who they are more generally or do I want to see them at their best. The problem is, though, none of Brian Branch's best games are really against competition that I could care less about. I think the closest that I could find would be probably Mississippi State. I'll say this about Brian Branch. Brian Branch is emblematic of, of my issue with pretty much everybody in this draft class, specifically if you look at a guy like Peter Skaronsky, for example. When you, I like him a lot more when you acknowledge him for what he is, and that's a slot corner. The man's not a safety. He barely played safety at Alabama. I don't know why we keep calling the guy a safety. He doesn't play like a safety. He doesn't have the killer instinct or the aggression to be a safety. Yes, he's a good tackler. In other words, he's the fundamental, you know, tackling form and all that to get the guy down. That has nothing to do with, I see a guy across the field, I'm going to sprint over there and take his head off. He doesn't have that. He plays like a corner. Now, when you watch him play corner uh, in the slot, yeah, he seems fine. I don't have an issue with that at all. But... When I think, do I want a decent or solid slot corner at 15? No. And, you know, it's like, well, Skaronsky, do you like him at tackle? Eh. Do you like him at guard? I really do. But do I really want a guard at 15? All right. Do you like Jackson Smith and Jigba? Yeah, he's pretty good. Do you want him as a pure slot corner at 15? Eh. Do you like Jordan Addison? Yeah, I do. Do you like him as an undersized slot corner at pick 15? No. Do you like Bijan Robinson? I freaking love Bijan Robinson. Do you want a running back at 15? I don't think so. Do you like Michael Mayer? Yeah, I do. Do you want him at 15? Not really. I mean, maybe, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's everybody. Everybody. And, and again, Branch and, and uh, Skaronsky are kind of on the same line as me. We have a huge need at safety. I don't like Brian Branch as a safety. I don't think he is a safety. 
He played 25 snaps last year at free safety. 25. The man's not a safety. I don't know why we keep calling him that. 570 snaps in the slot. 135 in the box, sort of, you know, linebacker-ish. He's a slot corner. That's what he looks like. That's what he plays like. That's what he is. I don't really want to draft a slot corner at 15. So that's where I'm at with him. Next up, a guy that I don't think I've talked about at all in the podcast because he hasn't really been considered a first-round prospect apparently until recently. I don't even know when, when his name arrived in this range, but it's Mr. Deontay Banks or Tay Banks. It's going to be a fun, memeable thing when that guy gets paid his first time or whatever. But uh, cornerback out of Maryland, six foot one ninety-seven, twenty-two point one years old. Been playing football since six years old. Been playing corner basically since high school, so he's been that's kind of been his thing. Four-year starter at outside cornerback for Maryland. Strong build, desired speed, uh, patient and pressed, explosive lower body, loves to get physical, solid tackler. Weaknesses can be turned around by savvy receivers, needs to trust technique, prone to penalties, inconsistent depth in zone or off coverage, only two career interceptions, shoulder injury history. Projected in the first or second round, he has him at number 27 overall. Projects best as an outside press man corner with upside in zone looks. So just based on that, doesn't sound super great for us. Not that I have anything against press man corners, it's just we tend to squander that ability. As far as PFF is concerned, not a massive fan in his four years. And 2021, by the way, uh, he had a pretty big injury, only played 54 snaps. But his grades, 69, 60, 66, and 72. Um, Tackling grades have been his highest attribute, I guess you'd say the last two years. But again, 2021 didn't really play very much. But 90 tackling grade in 2022. Um, Coverage, which is the most important, 70, 59, 64, and 74 this past year. Um, so inconsistent up and down, but definitely at his best year this past year. Again, elite tackling grade, 75 coverage grade, um, run defense was a little bit low, but as far as the consistency aspect, you know, not super great. Three games in the seventies, none above that. Most of the rest were sixties. He did have two in the fifties though, against Buffalo and Penn state. So as far as my thoughts on Deontay Banks, look, I I think... The, the guy has four three five speed, which is probably a big part of the reason why he's coming up as much as he is. They have him listed as a uh, slot corner here, which I find odd because I watched him play against Michigan and he wasn't in the slot very much. But I honestly wasn't massively impressed with him other than just, again, nobody is going to run past him. Just on a go route, it was funny. I watched Michigan, which was his uh, third best coverage grade. But it's a very boring offense that revolves around running the ball and a lot of times has wide receivers just running straight down the field. So a lot of what he was doing was just covering guys trying to run behind him, which was never going to happen. But there really wasn't a ton else to it, and that 4-3-5 speed didn't really come in handy. I mean, I, I watched a guy catch a touchdown pass just running clean across the field, just across his face, and he couldn't catch up. You know, when he's playing 10 yards off and a guy runs a quick out route, can you get to the ball before he catches it? No, he couldn't. So... I mean, in terms of just elite coverage ability, I, I didn't really see it. I mean, he was great in coverage on go routes. You know, he stayed, I've never seen a guy stay in a guy's hip quite that well. Again, it looked like the receiver just had four, four legs running down the field. But aside from that, I don't really want a corner. I'm not massively impressed with Deontay Banks outside of, again, 4-3-5 speed. I'm hoping the Packers don't get largely enamored with that 4-3-5 speed because honestly, I'm kind of just tired of that. Anyways, next up is tackle Darnell Wright, another name that has recently been uh, 
cited as a potential Packers pick. Six foot five, three hundred and thirty-three pounds, four-year senior um, at Tennessee, out of Huntington, West Virginia. Started playing football back in the day as a linebacker. Moved to offensive line in high school. Was a standout in basketball and track. 27 games at right tackle, 13 at left tackle, 2 at right guard. Voted America's team, American Team's Offensive Line Practice Player of the Week. So that's wonderful. Strengths, large frame, raw power, patient and physical mindset, stiff punch, quickness, heavy hands, 34 straight starts in college. Love that. Weaknesses, top-heavy, resorts to waist-bending, outside-foot drifts, hand-positioning, lacks discipline, trouble with balance on the second level, relies more on brute strength than leverage points. I can already tell I'm going to love this guy. When, when, I, when I fall in love with his weaknesses, yeah, I'm going to like this guy. Uh, projected first, second round, he has him at number 24 overall. Uh, it says, overall, Wright will get himself into trouble when he sacrifices technique for his nasty demeanor, but he naturally defaults to his raw power and body control to, cons- uh, to consistently win in both run and passing game. He's a plug-and-play right tackle, and some teams have him on their draft board as a starting guard. I mean, that sounds... Everything about this sounds perfect. He's a right tackle that you could slot in at guard if you need to, which, again, Zach Tom, if he turns out to be a great guard we got our, or a great tackle, we end up having a great guard. If not, Darnell Wright is our tackle. You know what I mean? Anyways, looking at PFF, they're not nearly as impressed. It is four years at Tennessee. Um, again, played a ton of snaps, 2,747 snaps. His grades, 39 as a rookie, then 53, then 62, then 71. So it did go up every year, which is great. But man, that's a heck of a climb. And his run blocking went up every year also, but has ended at a 65. Uh, 37, 57, 64, 65, pass blocking grades, 58, 49, 59, and then 80. And immediately when I see that, I just think this is just bad. I mean, he's been a bad football player every single year with the exception of one year getting a good pass blocking grade. And if that ends up being somewhat of a fluke, then we just have a bad football player here. But did primarily play right tackle. Uh, 2021 is when he primarily played left tackle, played right guard as a rookie. As far as my thoughts, um... I'm a fan. I really am. Um, so I watched two games of his. I watched him against Kentucky. Uh, I got a little more than halfway through. He did a great job, but Kentucky's a little silly. Um, first of all, they have this three-man front that they like to use, which, you know, when you have five offensive linemen against three guys, it's it's a little bit unfair in your favor. On top of that, he was going up primarily against this guy, Dion Walker. Deion Walker is 6'6", 330, so it was a little bit silly. I mean, as far as, like, brute force, it's kind of cool seeing him be able to stop this guy. And for, but this guy can barely move, let's be honest. No offense to Deion Walker. I hope he has a, a great career in the NFL uh, as a nose tackle or something. But they had him at, like, D-end against a right tackle, trying to do, like, pass rush moves at 330. Like, come on, man. So I was like, all right, I've got some Alabama tape here. It was his, I think, fourth best game just behind Kentucky. That should give me a better sense of things like, you know, movement ability and whatnot against more of an NFL caliber team. And I thought he looked phenomenal. But the biggest thing is, and I'm sure people have already talked about this plenty. I have not heard it. Uh, so to me, it's a big revelation. He went up against um, Will Anderson probably most of the game, more than a little more than half the game. He shut him down, which speaks volumes to two things. Number one, my general uh, level of distrust for Will Anderson, especially as a top whatever prospect you know i mean if he's sort of like in that brian burns rashawn gary mid first round range cool but as a top five prospect no thanks he completely shut him down all game 
I, I I got my I had to get my phone out and start timing some of these passes because there were there were times it was about three to three and a half seconds the quarterback was standing in the pocket and Anderson could not do anything off the right side against uh, Darnell Wright and then in the run game it was a complete joke because you got Darnell Wright who is an absolute man mover against an undersized edge edge rusher and he just pushed him clear across the field so then I wanted to look at it and say okay well how did this compare for Will Anderson, and if you look at it, it was his worst pass rush game of the entire season. The game that he went up against primarily Darnell Wright. So it does speak to not just, well, Will Anderson is is overrated, it's more to, no, he just really got whooped in this game. Not to say he's not overrated, I'm just saying that it speaks more to that. So I am a fan. I mean, it's it's one of those, you know, there, there's nothing to not like about it. I'm concerned about the uh, run blocking grades, although again, clearly a man mover. Probably needs some help with technique, which, you know, we've got guys that can do that. A little bit concerned about just having the one good year as a pass blocker, but at the same time, that's progression. That's what you're supposed to have happen, although you do worry about it being maybe a fluke. Then again, you look at his season, um, and his grades were, let's see, let's just go in order here. 80, 60, 80, 70, 70, 60, 60, 80, 80, 70, 70, 80, 60. So pretty solid 70s, 80s, you know, or, or high 60s, I guess. Very consistent throughout the season. It wasn't like, well, he had like three 90s and, and then like 50s and 60s beyond that. No, it was, it was pretty consistently solid all year. He didn't have a single bad, bad game. In fact, one of his lowest graded pass blocking games was against Alabama. He allowed one pressure and that was it. Zero sacks, two hits, six hurries all season. So, and, and, and again, um, do you have a problem with a right tackle at 15? No. Is there any issue with his age? No, he's 21. Big program, went up against top competition and beat him. So um, am I like backflips got to have him? No, but it, it, just, it just checks all the boxes. I mean, it's just a pick that makes sense. And again, the fact that he has that guard versatility where it's like if we, you know, if we really want Zach Tom and he can be that dude at tackle, there's nothing wrong with putting Darnell Wright in that spot. And if David Bakhtiari leaves, perhaps Zach Tom can move to left and Darnell can be right. And you know what I mean? Like it just, it just makes sense kind of across the board. So I do like Darnell Wright. Again, I'm running long with this stuff. All right. Speed round. Zay Flowers. Boston College, 5'9", 182, another small guy, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Um, he is 22.6 years old, so getting up in the age area, category, whatever. Uh, 11th of 14 children. Uh, apparently he lost his mother at age 5, which is horrible. Started playing football at age 4. Played wide receiver and DB in high school. Strengths, short area, athlete, quick release, smooth acceleration, good downfield tracking skills, balance as RAC weapon, open field instincts, confident, resilient, durable, weaknesses, undersized, small wing span, may struggle against NFL size and strength, relies on body catches, focus drops, limited special teams experience, projected first, second round, number 32 overall. Um, and then the overall thing here says overall flowers is undersized, doesn't have ideal skill set for outside work, but he is savvy and sudden competitor with a play speed and route pacing to create space. He projects as an early NFL starter who as, uh, at his best in the slot. So again, another slot guy, which is really annoying. Uh, as far as PFF, uh, 60 as a rookie and then 72, 73, 75. So very consistent just as a 70 overall guy. And then for my thoughts, for, in an attempt to not repeat myself uh, with the Jordan Addison thing, undersized slot guy, probably not great, but I do really like Zay Flowers a lot. 
Um, with that said, this is sort of my blind spot. This is my KJ Hamler, right? The undersized guy that's a great route runner, tons of speed, just runs away from people that for some reason doesn't materialize into an NFL football player. But do I like Zay Flowers? Yes. Do I think we should take him at 15? No. Do I think we're going to draft him at all? No. So there it is. Next up is Mr. Dalton Kincaid, tight end out of Utah. Six foot three and a half, two forty-six, five-year senior out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Played for Faith Lutheran. Twenty-three and a half years old. Uh, focused on basketball primarily in high school. Joined San Diego as a tight end before transferring to Utah. Two-year starter at Utah. Led FBS tight ends in receiving yards, 74.2, and receptions, 5.8 per game. Strengths, long, agile athlete with adequate frame, quick release, outstanding focus, adjusts well mid-air, good balance through contact, forces missed tackles, willing and functional run blocker, positive character feedback. Weaknesses, slender frame, needs core strength development, inconsistent blocking base and body angles, messy pass pro mechanics, penalties, rounds off routes, injury concerns. Projected first round, number 20 overall. Overall, Kincaid is still developing his play strength and consistency as a blocker, but he is an above-average pass catcher with burst, body control, and ball skills to be a weapon in the slot. He projects as a playmaking move tight end in the NFL. PFF uh, saw him as a breakout candidate here this past year. Um, He played, well, it was five years, but two of those years he didn't really play very much. But his grades over five years, 67, 80, 80, 80, 90 is essentially what it is. Uh, I do have a bit of an issue with the consistency, although there were some really high games or three in the 90s. But um, if you look at the grades, it's 50, 90, 50, 70, 50, 70, 90, 70, 60, 86, 93, 56. So it's it feels very boomer bust with him. But I suppose you would take the booms when the booms are 99 yards, 107 yards and two touchdowns, 102 yards and a touchdown and 234 yards and a touchdown. Excuse the printer. If you can even hear that. But I guess here's kind of my thing, at least with the top three tight ends. I'm super torn on all three because they all have such unbelievably high ceilings, but I honestly think they all three have pretty low floors. I mean, you, you see, essentially with, with the top three, you're rolling the dice and betting which one's going to hit their ceiling because their ceiling is ridiculous. And if they don't hit it, then they're just some average friggin' loser tight end like the rest. So where are you putting your money? I'm, I'm, I'm all over the board. I, I don't know. I don't know. I know that if any of them hit their ceiling, we're all going to look at it and say, you should have known. It was obvious. Everybody could tell, right? Because everybody can tell. But everybody else is also smart enough to recognize that not everybody hits that ceiling. There are no guarantees. So this whole nonsense of everybody knew or you could tell or you could see it. No, you can't. I do like Kincaid. I like him. And if he can continue being the Dalton Kincaid he was in college in the pros, he's going to be a good football player. If he can't, he's going to suck. I think personally my favorite right now is Michael Mayer. I don't know who my second favorite is. I know I was like parading myself around as captain of the uh, darn... What's his name? Darnell Washington fan club. But that's just because I love freaks, man. And I know that this dude has a higher ceiling than the other two. And that's saying a lot because the other two have pretty high ceilings. His speed, his size, his power is ridiculous. But I don't know. I really don't. It really just comes down to who's going to be that dude. And, and that's a completely different question to how well are they playing in college. I don't have any issue with any of the three in terms of how good they look in college. The next question is, who's going to do that in the pros? I don't know, man. 
But I'll just say that Dalton is in that mix. Anyways, um, I'm running a little bit long. Why don't we take a break? We'll come back, cover the last three. Brian Brzee, Osiris Torrance, and Darnell Washington. And then I'll try to squeeze in a little bit of news and notes uh, as much as I possibly can. Please, please, please consider uh, checking out one of the t-shirts. Um, I, I'm i going to do it right now. I'm going to get a promo code and send it over to Patreon just so you guys have that. That'll be one place that you can find it. Also, on Twitter, I've been posting them. I've been posting them on the Facebook group, Facebook page. Not on Instagram because I don't know how Instagram works. <laughs> I got to figure that out. Otherwise, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Get you one of those promo codes if you're thinking about buying a shirt. Probably pay for itself. You pay a buck for... Uh, patreon subscription and then you get uh however much off i don't know depends what you buy depends what i put the discount at i haven't made that up yet because i haven't even done it yet anyways let's take a break we'll be right back passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Also forgot to mention, welcome back by the way, uh, thank you very much to Mr. Zach Barnes for jumping back in on the Patreons, really do appreciate that. Anyways, on to Mr. Brian Brzee, listed on the big board as the number two defensive tackle out of Clemson, six foot five and a half, 298 pounds out of Damascus, Maryland, 21 and a half years old. We'll just go ahead and skip to the summary. It says, uh, Brzee must refine his setup and counters for better pass rush sequencing, but he has an explosive he is an explosive force player with disruptive potential in both even and odd fronts. His tag on draft boards will have a medical designation, and his injury background might determine where he is drafted. 
first round number 23 overall. So he is actually one spot ahead of Kalijah Kansi on this big board, although the consensus big board now has Kalijah Kansi ahead of him, which makes sense. I think a lot of these sort of leaner pass rusher types end up a little bit higher because obviously pass rush is a priority. Uh, as far as PFF, not a big fan. Basically 70s all three years. 68, 69, 73 is his whole thing. Doesn't really excel. Well, I, I guess I shouldn't say that. Uh, year one, he excelled in pass rush. Year two, it was run defense. Year three, it was pass rush. Um, and he also alternated being bad in those, you know, year one, 57 uh, run defense, then 66 pass rush, then 63 run defense. So it's very weird. As far as his statistics, basically at 10% as a pass rusher, year one, um, right at exactly 10% year two, and slightly above 24 pressures, 203 pass rush attempts in year three. Um, very low usage. I'm guessing this is where the injuries come in. Um, even in 2022, which was, I guess, his second highest, but not by much, 330 attempts, he missed a decent chunk of time. And then the year before that in 2021, only 152 total snaps that entire season. So he has not played a ton. Again, assuming due to injury issues. It does say his last two seasons were marred by uh, injury issues, ACL tear and kidney infection. Oh, he also had a personal tragedy, the passing of his younger sister after an 18-month cancer battle. That's horrible. I guess the kidney inf infection was caused by a strep throat. He went to the hospital, added 45 pounds of water weight. Sheesh. He's been through it, man. Especially losing his sister and all that. This has been a heck of a battle for him. As far as my thoughts on Brzee, I, I don't... My, I guess my biggest issue, it's, it's very similar to some of these other guys. The, the things I liked best about him was his ability to, how do I say it, kind of act in space, I guess. I watched him against Tennessee, so I got to see him against our future right tackle. And I, I'll say there's two sides of Brzee. There's one where he's actually, like again, remember, 6'5", 300 pounds. When he's able to put on some pass rush moves, do spin moves, kind of come at an angle and attack the guard, stunts, twists, all that... He was pretty disruptive. I mean, he's kind of a wrecking ball. But when it's just heads up, he didn't, he didn't do anything. Just mono -y mono trying to do something. It, it just didn't work very well. He usually just got stood up. He, sometimes it seemed like he didn't even try. And so I guess my biggest complication is at 300 pounds, this dude is not going to be an edge rusher, even in a 4-3 defense. They may, they may put him out there occasionally. We would not. I, I guess I shouldn't even say that definitively. He did stand up a little bit, maybe cut some weight or something. I, I don't really know, but he, he's going to be an inline defensive end. I don't really trust him to stand in there, especially in, in terms of run defense. But as a pass rusher, you'd much rather have him kind of doing stunts and twists and much more creative things than the Packers end up doing a lot of the time. I want to see him kind of come across and smash a guard in the side, you know, and just be disruptive in, 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 in those kinds of things. He was able to kind of make waves, but it was way too intermittent. It was like, this, I don't like him, I don't like him, I don't like him. Oh, dang, that was crazy. Sack. I don't like him, I don't like him. You know what I mean? It's too inconsistent, and I guess I'm just kind of looking for a guy that can stand in and just beat the guy in front of him more often than not, and I just didn't see him do that enough. Especially considering, again, he's going to have to move inside. And so I could see him as a disruptive force. I don't really see him as a uh, defensive tackle that I'd be super duper interested in. Tennessee, by the way, this was his uh, fourth best game. I will say, though, two of his best games were in the championship games, in the playoffs. Uh, two of his, did I say two of his four? Two of his four best. So that that's good. I mean, the championship game against North Carolina was his best game. So he does rise to the big occasions, which is a big thing, big program. There are certainly uh, uh, things about him that you like. 
but for me personally, it's very eh. Then we move on to big man Osiris Torrance. I'm very excited because I haven't watched him in quite a while, but I know I did like watching him because he's just a freaking wrecking ball. But Mr. Osiris Torrance um, playing for Florida, defensive tackle, or excuse me, uh, offensive guard. What am I talking about? Six foot five, 330 pounds out of Greensburg, Louisiana. 23.2 years old, so a little bit older. Uh, his nickname is Cybo, which is super dope for a nerd that is uh, geeking out over IAI stuff. It seems to fit. Cybo Torrens. One of four children, Hammond, Louisiana. Played both ways at high school, earned all-state and all-district honors, signed with Louisiana, later transferred to Florida to reunite with head coach Bill Napier. Some of his strengths, thick, wide-frame blocker with massive wingspan, large hands, bends well, rational uh, rotation. I was like, what the heck is rational strength? I like it, though. Rotational strength, balance on the move, refits hands well, disciplined, competitive mentally, 47 starts over four years. Weaknesses, inconsistent connection rate on the move, average range as a puller, late sliding and adjusting to stunts, overleaning in pass protection, needs to develop pass pro punch, can be knocked back by defenders, and is injury prone. His uh, overall summary here says, overall Torrance will struggle at times picking off targets in space, climbing or pulling, but he boasts the play strength, body control, and competitive appetite to win his matchups. He is a plug-and-play zone starter in the NFL. PFF is very high on him. Um, Three years at Louisiana Lafayette, his grades were 72, 74, and then he jumped up to an 88.2 grade, including an 89.4 run blocking and 84.8, so basically 90 and 85, 85 pass blocking grade. Then he goes to Florida for a year, has an 88 grade again, 90 run blocking grade again, but a 76.1 pass blocking grade, which is fine. In his four years, he has never once given up a sack, has only given up one hit, but 24 hurries, which is relatively high. 12 of those coming in the last two years, so right at half. Um, yeah, it's about it. Pretty much right guard his entire career, although he played left guard in 2019 for Louisiana Lafayette. And then as far as consistency, I have no issues. Four games in this mid to high 60s. Then he had his three games in the 70s, two in the 80s, and two in the 90s. My own personal thoughts, I really do like Os- Osiris Torrance. I watched him against Georgia, and I-, I really think that was a great game to watch. Number one, because he went heads up with Jalen Carter, maybe the best player in this entire class. And I thought he held his own. Uh, he won more often than he lost, which is probably expected for an offensive lineman. He did lose a couple. Um, but he, on occasion, he walked Jalen Carter straight back down the field. The other thing I really like about the Georgia game is they throw a lot at you. It's not just heads up, boring, old... You know, you know your guy and you go up and you block him, which is great. And I bet Osiris Torrance would dominate with that because he's just a big, strong guy, especially if you're not watching Georgia. Probably one. I mean, you you watch probably any other game and you'll see him just throw people around. It's hard to do when it's Jalen Carter and some other big, massive human beings. But I thought he I thought his discipline was fantastic because one of the things they kept trying to do is they'll have Jalen Carter and Jalen Carter will kind of duck off toward the center while the the fear is this guy's a monster i need to kind of engage well what they're going to do is send a a linebacker around the other side essentially what he would do is he'd give a little bit of a push to jalen carter to try to help the center but then say he's on that's all you bro and he'd be right there waiting for that linebacker linebacker do nothing now many times jalen carter go in crash kill that center and go get the quarterback but the point is he wouldn't bite his discipline really was fantastic now again if we are, let's say, trading back or something. I mean, do I want him at 15? Again, it's a, it's a guard. 
probably not. Then there are, again, the concerns of his movement ability and, and can he be a, a guy that can pull, which we do ask our guys to do. I don't necessarily see a right or reason why he can't. There, there may be some speed concerns with him and his size and, and speed and all that kind of stuff. And is he agile enough to be able to handle what the Packers want him to do? Maybe not. So there, there is a, although I like him and I think he's disciplined and I think he's strong and I think he's a, a, a good football player, I just don't see a lot of scenarios where it makes the most sense. Now, if we trade back into the late 20s, mid to 20s or whatever are there a lot of better options i don't know i mean we'll we'll see are, there, are any of the tight ends available i would probably rather have for example darnell washington just for the simple fact that you know you get the extra blocking help as well as an additional receiver and we're helping our tight end room which is a bigger need i think at this point if they're all gone yeah maybe i don't know man we'll, we'll see when we get there but again that's just kind of where i'm at with him speaking of our final guy darnell washington Darnell Washington, tight end out of Georgia, six foot six and a half, two hundred and sixty-four pounds. Also out of Las Vegas, just like Kincaid, I believe. Twenty-one point six years old. Again, youngest of eight children, five boys and three girls. Grew up with his mother, Katrina Graves. Uh, definitely had a tough upbringing. Was constantly on the moves every four to five months. It says sometimes homeless because of financial hardships, and spent some time in uh, foster home. Didn't play organized football until he was 11. Couldn't get consistent coaching because of the moving. But through all that, became a five-star recruit. Number two athlete in the 2020 recruiting class. Number one recruit in Nevada. Committed to Georgia. Strengths, big-boned athlete with toned frame and large wig span. Massive, accepting hands and adjusts well to throws. Uh, decreasing drop rate each season. Dominant level ability as a run blocker. Uh, determined runner with the ball in his hands. Weakness, Build up speed rather than immediate, which personally I don't care. High hips, which can cause slow change of direction. Needs to turn head quicker to be more available to the quarterback. Must secure ball faster to avoid drops. Uh, average contact balance may struggle to break tackles in the NFL. Needs to improve blocking angles and discipline. Uh, has an injury history. Foot surgery in 2021. Ankle injury in December of 2022. Overall, Washington will need time to mature in areas, but he offers a unique set of skills to be a weapon as an NFL blocker and continues to ascend as a pass catcher, especially in the red zone. He is one. Uh, he is a one-of-one one talent. There you go. With fascinating pro potential because of his rare length, play speed, uh, play strength, and body flexibility at his size. First, second round grade number thirty overall. Also, as I've mentioned, I'm surprised I don't see anything on here about it. Oh, he did play basketball, by the way. But uh, he, he did have some issues. He ended up hitting uh, one of his coaches. I believe this was in high school. Uh, there are also issues directly with that coach. Uh, the coach that he hit was actually used by Georgia to recruit Darnell Washington to Georgia. The guy has a job there in Georgia, which his job title is basically um, he helped us get Darnell Washington. So the guy gets a regular paycheck because of it, because of freaking corruption. <laughs> But, um, yeah, apparently the guy has is, is got some issues. I think he has charges of, like, stalking or whatever because people that had asked questions, he kind of harasses them. So, anyways, th there's got to be questions about, hey, Darnell, if you come out here, first of all, he has his own issues. Second of all, what's your relationship with this guy because we don't need him around here causing problems and those kinds of things. So, th those are some additional issues going on with Darnell Washington. As far as a player, uh, 69 grade in 2020, that went up to a 73 grade in 2021, and then this year broke out 85.7. Um, 
His blocking was phenomenal. He's, he's been a great blocker. 72, 72, and 81 was his run blocking grade. Pass blocking got better. 53, 66, and then a 78. Receiving also has been improving. 61, then 67, and then a 78. Um, everything has improved. Uh, 38, 63, and then 72 are his drop grades. 66, 68, and 72 for his fumbling grade. So in every aspect of his game, he has continued to improve. There are some consistency issues, I would say, with him. Uh, started off really, really well, 85, 78, 71, 78, 84, and then kind of plummeted, 60, 68, 64, 50, and then it was just intermittent. It was one good game and then bad, bad, good, bad, bad, and by bad, I mean mostly average. But um, So there's that. Young, but immature, inconsistent, but dominant, low floor, but ridiculously high ceiling, all that stuff. Um, Again, I like him. I, I, I can see the speed on the field. I can see the, uh, you know, the catches away from his body, which he has a massive wingspan, obviously. Just a ridiculous human being. I, I would be happy to have him. I see the ability. He probably needs some refinement, which is fine. But he kind of has that similar feel that Christian Watson had insofar as worst case scenario. I think you can coach him up to be a really gifted blocker because I think he's just a powerful human being. And then you can use him as a red zone threat. You know, you can slip him out here and there, kind of like you did with Mercedes Lewis, but he also has some ridiculous speed at his size, running a 4.64. So, I mean, of all the three who has the highest floor, it might be Darnell Washington. Because I just don't see him being completely useless. Whereas I could see Dalton Kincaid, for example, if, if that receiving ability doesn't necessarily translate, then what is he? A mediocre receiver and a bad blocker. Michael Mayer probably has a slightly higher floor than him because I think he's a good blocker and receiver. But, you know, if, if neither of those never really get to that level that they can produce at the NFL, then he's just kind of a, a mediocre guy. You know, he's TJ Hawkinson or something, who's fine, but he's, he's never going to be that elite number one dominant dude. I just feel like Washington is, floor is a more gifted receiving version of Mercedes Lewis. You know, at, not at his, at his prime, I mean, like with what we had. So I'm on board with it. Oh, by the way, he has a four-year-old daughter. So there you go. Layla is her name. So that's it. That is the 10 for today. Got to figure out a way to make that a little bit faster because I don't want this to be all I talk about. But I do want to cover a wide swath of guys. Um, what to talk about now? So much to cover. I, I wanted to bring up one point here. That Again, in terms of this sweating thing, I've been trying to think what is going on. They're not talking um, the Packers clearly are dug in. They're saying we're not going to do anything. There's, there is a possibility that they pick up the phone. But I, I had another thought in terms of maybe what the Jets are doing. Let's assume the Jets look at this and say, 100,000%, I know that they're going to do a deal with us because they have to get off of this. And, and they're not going to give them to the 49ers because they don't want them to go to the 49ers. So they don't have a lot of options. We are their option, right? That isn't to say we get them at whatever price we want, but... What if they are looking at this saying, dude, this is a one-year proposition with Rodgers. Why in the heck would we give you any picks this year? Especially the first round, but we don't want to give you any. Like, listen, we'll negotiate, but if you're going to play hardball, I don't really mind letting this run right through the draft. Because if that is the case, then we don't give you anything, which means we get, what, uh, our, our pick 13 and then is it two or three second round picks i think it's two but really early second round picks that's extremely valuable now, granted they generally suck in the second round but i don't think you just give them away because you've got a bad history with it 
Why wouldn't we stack as much talent? Here, if you really want me to tick you off, how about this? They draft Jackson Smith and Jigba, and then they continue to load up with talent, you know, offensive line, tight end, whatever, in the second round, probably steal a tight end from us in the second round. And then after the draft, they say, here you go, here is uh, uh, the, the, the wide receiver that you don't want, because we don't need him, because we got Jackson Smith and Jigba. I mean, you don't want, the Packers want him, I want him, I can't remember his name. You know who I'm talking about. Not Mims, the other guy. Not looking it up. Just pick somebody. And then we'll give you, you know, yeah, you, sure, yeah, definitely. You get your first round. We'll give you a first and a second in 2024, and then a conditional uh, 2025 pick. You get all those picks. Congratulations. But at that point, Rodgers is probably gone. We owe a bunch of money, so we're not going to be very relevant. We're not going to get a super high pick because Aaron Rodgers is probably going to get us to the playoffs. So I'm not worried about missing out on a quarterback. So we'll take as much of a swing as we... And why wouldn't you? If this is a one-year deal, why would you not take as big of a swing as you possibly can and then just completely tank next year? You got no picks. You got no money. You go all, you know, do whatever you can do. Zach Wilson learned. And if he can be the guy, great. He, he took a year off to learn from Aaron Rodgers. We'll see what he can do in 2024. And if he can't do anything and we're a garbage football team, 2025, we go get that quarterback. A Manning kid or whatever. I don't know. Whatever. Whoever's available. And that's what we'll do. I don't think it's the worst possible thing that you could do. The question is, would the Packers pick up the phone and say, fine, we'll take your offer of one second and a, you know, conditional minus a conditional whatever. Or are they going to say, no, we're not doing that? Probably going to say, no, we're not doing that. But then, you know, again, the, the Jets and Packers are going to be much more reasonable after the fact. I mean, the Jets will probably be much more giving of the future picks for all the reasons I just laid out. And the Packers will get their quote-unquote haul that they wanted. You get your first, you get a second, you get a player or something. But all of us will be ticked because we don't get what we want, which is something cool now. But Rodgers is gone. And the Jets get all the picks this year and Rodgers this year, and that's that. And maybe that is, is why it's gone quiet, because the Jets intend to do nothing until the draft. And the Packers probably know that. And, and the aggression or the, the you know real conversations probably won't start until around the draft. Like, all right, seriously, like, what, are, what are we doing here? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not desperate or anything, but like, seriously, are, are we not going to do this? Or like, what are we doing? Just a thought. You know, if, again, if I'm the Jets, it's, it's, it's not even necessarily about leverage. It's just about, I want all the picks. I don't want to give you any of these picks. Well, the price is going to go up. No, I know. And I'll, I'll, I'll play ball. I get it. But we'll worry about that then. And the Packers don't have a whole lot of say in that. No, I want something now. Okay. Well, what are you offering? Well, I want pick 13. No. Okay. Give me a second and then da 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 Eh. We could, but those two seconds are pretty dope, dude. We can go right back in the first round. Are you kidding me? We can get mid first round with that. You can basically get your pick 15. You want to trade back? I'll give you the two seconds. You got to give me 15, though. Just being ridiculously unreasonable with the general message that we're not giving you this year's picks. Just something to think about in terms of what might be happening. Also, wanted to bring up this article again from Go Long. This time he interviewed uh, the legendary Ron Wolf. Um, they talked about some generalities. I don't want to give the whole thing away. If you want to read it, you can. Some really good stuff about what's special about the organization and all those kinds of things. Um, and obviously, he poked and prodded him to try to get to talk about the Aaron Rodgers situation, which he didn't a ton, but he kind of opened up a little bit when he talked about the philosophy of, of drafting specifically quarterbacks. And I just want to touch on a little bit of that back and forth because, again, I, I, I just think it's worth mentioning from the perspective of a guy like Ron Wolf the importance of making sure you get the quarterback position right above everything else. So I guess the conversation kind of started um, 
around this question. It's kind of long, but it says, why is it important when you're running a team to keep the team in mind as opposed to one player? Again, he's kind of goating them a little bit here, or poking them or whatever. Because I think we've seen this a lot with Hall of Fame quarterbacks. A team decides to play by the quarterback's rules too long. They move on, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, Wolf says, you nailed it. It's the most important position in the game. I'll tell you something. If we don't have two or three of those, you're in a lot of trouble. We experienced that up in Minnesota one day. Barv went out, Detmer went out, and TJ Rubley came in. You talk about snatch and defeat from victory. We sure did it that day. It opened our eyes. You have to cover yourself at the position. I'm so amazed today. They've got 69 guys now on a roster that you can pull from to put in a game. And they can't have three quarterbacks? Are you kidding me? For some guy that runs down on punt coverage four or five times versus protecting yourself at that position, I don't understand that. Follows it up with a question. Green Bay could have drafted a wide receiver. Fine, that helps you for a few years. But shoot, if Jordan Love is good and you believe in him, you're talking 40, 50 years of bliss at the position. Buffalo went two decades flipping through quarterbacks before Josh Allen. I never understood the backlash for the Jordan Love pick. Wolf says, I was watching the draft back when Robert Griffin was taken by the, the Redskins. And in the fourth round, they also took Kirk Cousins. You would have thought they wasted the entire day. That this was the dumbest thing. All these experts were talking about how stupid that was. As I look, that guy's still playing. You cannot overlook that position. You said that, I agree wholeheartedly. Look at the guy Buffalo has now. There's no question what it means to his team and how he is. Uh, how he is. He's good. He's really good. And he asked a question talking about, you know, people are upset because he has to sit. He says, it seems antiquated at this point, and it really shouldn't. It's okay for a guy to develop for a few years. This is um, not Wolf talking. Isn't that as true now as it was when you were general manager? He said, that's always been true. I grew up with the Baltimore Colts. We had Y.A. Tittle as our quarterback in the American Football Conference. In 1955, they took a guy named George Shaw with a bonus pick, the Colts. In 54, they drafted a guy named Cotton Davis with the first pick, and here in comes the next draft and George Shaw with a bonus pick. They win three games with Shaw as the quarterback, and it was a revolution because he was a real quarterback. But then in 1956, they signed this free agent named Unitas. So guess who wins out there? He says, we're talking 70 years ago. It worked then. He says, we're talking about a 12-team league with 33 players. That's never disappeared. That's the way it's always been. If you have a quarterback, it makes Sunday easier, Monday easier. It makes it a lot easier if you have one of those. Tyler Dunn goes on to say, and you took a stab just about every year through the 90s. Uh, take them enough and you'll hit. Matt Hasselbeck, Aaron Brooks, Mark Brunel, Ty Detmer all went on uh, to start for other teams. He said, we hit. We hit on some of those. Some of those we didn't. Some of those we missed badly. Hey, to me, uh, that's what makes the game so exciting. The fact that you have an opportunity to pick a player. And unfortunately, some of those guys don't work out the way you thought that they were going to work out. Look at this year. Perfect example in San Francisco. This is funny. They give up a lot of picks for that guy uh, to get that guy from the Dakotas. But that last pick in the draft from Iowa State saved their franchise. So, again, agree or disagree, you got to understand, this is the philosophy of the Green Bay Packers. This is the playbook that Brian Gutekunst is operating under. And if anything, reading through what, what uh, Wolf has to say here, I would say that he would probably smack Brian Gutekunst for not doing enough at the quarterback position. We should be drafting more quarterbacks more regularly, and we should be putting three quarterbacks on the roster every year, not two. Instead, we take one swing at one guy who is now our starting quarterback and it's like the end of the world then again just a couple little updates elton jenkins did comment a little bit times talked about aaron Rodgers. obviously he's a hall of famer things are going to change didn't really elaborate on any of that i will note he did say we <laughs> when talking about being good david bakhtiari said they are rebuilding they are going to take a step back or whatever it was but not a massive update there from elton don't know if i mentioned this i know this is from borderline a week ago or whatever but kind of interesting um 
Jordan Love seems to be sort of uh, advocating, perhaps, for Jackson Smith and Jigba. Who knows? Maybe they're just friends or whatever, or he just happens to like a few things. But it couldn't hurt if the quarterback's like, hey, I really like this guy. I like what he does, whatever. Well, I'm just saying. Yeah, somebody went out and found that Jordan Love was out basically just uh, stalking Jackson Smith and Jigba on Instagram and liking a bunch of his posts. So, again, does it mean anything? No, but off-season hype, let's do this. (laughs) Jordan Love is just pulling the lever like, hey, I want my guy. He's going to become Mr. Hollywood year one, pulling all the strings. And there was kind of an interesting article here from uh, yeah, ESPN. They've got kind of a cool thing where, uh, this is ESPN Analytics, you can look at the percentage odds that a player will be available at pick 15 for the Packers. So they have two columns here, percentage chance that the player is taken, and then the chance that the player is available. Very sad to report that uh, Devin Witherspoon, (laughs) sitting at about 2% here, Skaronsky sitting at about 10%, Lucas Van Ness is only about 15%. Uh, Jalen Carter actually is significantly higher. Um, they don't actually tell you the percentage, so I'm trying to look across and try to see about where this lines up with. But 25-30% along with Jackson Smith and Jigba. So that's pretty high for Jalen Carter, but low for Jackson Smith and Jigba. Sorry to report, still well below 50%. Um, Nolan Smith sitting about 35%. Paris Johnson Jr., about 40%. Then they have Joey Porter at about 40-some-odd percent. Will Levis getting close to about 50%. Bijan, let's say about 55%. Broderick Jones at 60. Miles Murphy sitting at about 70%. Darnell Wright about 80. And then Osiris Torrance sitting at about 90%. And then they have um, Zay Flowers, Quentin Johnson, Dalton Kincaid, Tyler Scott, and Kalijah Kansi they have at 100%. But the more interesting thing, I suppose, is what is the percentage chance that the player is actually taken. Now, the highest that they have here is uh, about 11%, but the number one player they have at pick 15 for the Packers is Miles Murphy, the second highest, Bijan Robinson, third, Jackson Smith and Jigba, then Broderick Jones, Nolan Smith, Perrin jo- Paris Johnson, Joey Porter, Lucas Van Ness, Darnell Wright, Dalton Kincaid, Peter Skronsky, Livewell, Levese, Flowers, Kalaja Cancio, Cyrus Torrance, Jalen Carter, Quentin Johnson, and Christian Gonzalez is the lowest at about 1%. So that is where ESPN Analytics has us right now. Miles um, Murphy, number one, but a very close second is Bijan. If you want to find that, it's like ESPNSportsAnalytics.com. It's kind of interesting. Also, to my understanding here, um, I don't think we've really talked about it, but the top 30 visit tracker. I'm not going to go through each of these guys because we're basically out of time. We can save that for another day. But just so we're all caught up to date, um, at least as far as, we'll use this USA Today Packers Wire uh, article here, Zach Cruz. The 16 of the 30 visits, guys that have gotten flown into Green Bay, have been worked out and sat down and get your hands on them, talk to them, get to meet them a little bit. Tight end Darnell Washington out of Georgia. Pass rusher Will McDonald the fourth out of Iowa State. Safety Jordan Howden out of Minnesota. Defensive back Jamie Robinson out of Florida State. Wide receiver Dontavion Wicks out of Virginia. Running back Keaton Mitchell. East Carolina, safety slash linebacker Marty Mapu out of Sacramento, Sacramento State, quarterback Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee, offensive tackle Darnell Wright out of Tennessee, um, outside linebacker slash defensive lineman Keon White out of Georgia Tech, running back Lou Nichols the third out of Central Michigan, quarterback Sean Clifford out of Penn State, 
running back Evan Hull out of Northwestern, defensive lineman Jacqueline Roy out of LSU, tight end Dalton Kincaid, this is a recent one out of Utah, and then finally another recent one, obviously, outside linebacker slash defensive lineman Adetomiwa Adeboware. I did my best. And I believe I also saw that they were interested in talking to Tanner McKee, which would make three um, quarterbacks. I don't know if they were actually planning on a top 30 visit or if he was coming in for a top 30 or if that was just some kind of speculation. I'm not really entirely sure what that was all about. I just saw that through the grapevine. But it does seem like they're putting in a little bit of extra work on quarterbacks. I don't necessarily know if that's uncommon. In fact, I think I told somebody I was going to do a little bit of background research and look into that. But anyways, I'm going to leave it at that for today. Uh, tomorrow we will plan on uh, doing it all over again. Hope you guys are enjoying this. Again, it's it's a lot of work, but I do think it's important that we kind of go through these. Um, it'll also be pretty horrible when we draft guys and then we go. everybody goes back and listens to what I say, and I'm just like, I don't know, dude. I mean, I guess he's fine. He's kind of stupid and stinks and stupid freaking idiot, loser, whatever. And then I got to get on here and be like, yeah, it's such a good pick. It's great. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> It's all fun, man. It's all fun. Let's have some fun.